And there, grizzled gray as he was, he spurred his men, Idomeneus ramping amidst the Trojans, striking panic. He finished Othryoneus, a man who'd lived in Cabesus, one who had just come at the rousing word of war and asked for Priam's loveliest daughter, Cassandra, with no bride price offered. But Othryoneus promised a mighty work of battle. He would rout the unwilling Argives out of Troy, and old King Priam bent his head in assent, promised the man his daughter. So on he fought, trusting his life to oaths taken, promises struck, till Idomeneus took his life with a glinting spear, struck him coming on with his high, swaggering strides. His breastplate could not save him, the bronze he always wore, and the shaft pierced his bowels. He fell with a crash as Idomeneus boasted, shouting over him, Bravo, Othryoneus, bravo to you, beyond all men alive. If you can really keep your promise to Priam now, who promised his daughter a true blood wedding day, look, we'll make you a promise, we'll keep it too. We'll hand you Agamemnon's loveliest daughter, lead her here from Argos, marry her off to you, if you'll just help us raise the walls of Troy. Just step this way so we can come to terms by the deep sea ships and strike our marriage pact. You'll find our price for brides not quite so killing. The hero seized his foot, dragging him through the rout. But Aesius leapt down to defend his comrade, just ahead of his chariot horses, still held close by a driver, the team snorting, panting over his shoulders. Aesius strained in fury to spear Idomeneus, but the Cretan took him first. A spearhead punched his gullet under the chin, and the bronze point went ripping through his nape, and down the Trojan fell as an oak or white poplar falls or towering pine that shipwrights up on a mountain hew down with wetted axes for sturdy ship timber. So he stretched in front of his team and chariot, sprawled and roaring, clawing the bloody dust. His driver, out of his mind what mind he had, lost all nerve to wheel his horses round and give the slip to his enemy's deadly hands and staunch Antilochus speared him through the midriff. His breastplate could not save him, the bronze he always wore, and the lance impaled his guts. He gasped, convulsed, and out of his well-made car the Trojan pitched. And as for his team, proud Nestor's son Antilochus drove them out of the Trojans into Argive lines. But raging in tears for Aesius came Deiphobus, charging against Idomeneus, heaving a flashing spear. But Idomeneus saw it coming, dodged the bronze point by crouching under his buckler's full round cover. He always carried it, layered with hide and ringed with gleaming bronze, fitted with double cross stays. Under it low he hunched and the brazen spear flew past with a grating screech as the shaft grazed the shield. But Deiphobus's strong swift hurl was not for nothing, no, he caught Hypsenor, Hippasus's son, the captain, struck him under the midriff, slit his liver, and that instant the man's knees went limp. Deiphobus shouted, vaunting in wild glory, Aesius dies, but not without revenge. Down to the god of death he goes, I tell you, down to the mighty gates, but thrilled at heart, look at the escort I have sent him for the journey. The more he gloried, the more grief swept the Argives, brave Antilochus most, his battle passion rising, stunned with pain, but he would not fail Hypsenor. He ran to straddle and hide him with his shield as a brace of comrades shouldered up the fighter. Echius's son, Mecistius, helping good Elastor, bore him back to the hollow warships, groaning hard. But Idomeneus never slacked his fury, always struggling to plunge some Trojan soldier in deep shrouding night, or fall himself, beating disaster off his lines. And here was a royal kill, the son of Esaides, the hero, Alcothous, son-in-law to Anchises, wed to his eldest daughter, Hippodamia. 
Her father and noble mother loved her dearly, the pride of their halls, excelling all her age in beauty, works of the loom, and good clear sense. So the bravest man in the broad realm of Troy took her hand in marriage. True, the very man Poseidon crushed at the hands of Idomeneus here, spellbinding his shining eyes, crippling his fine legs. He couldn't escape. No retreat, no dodging the stroke, like a pillar or tree crowned with leaves rearing. Standing there, stock still, as the hero Idomeneus stabbed him square in the chest and split the bronze plate that cased his ribs. Gear that had always kept destruction off his flesh, but it cracked and rang out now, ripped by the spear. Down Alcathous crashed, and the point stuck in his heart, and the heart in its last throes jerked and shook the lance, the butt-end quivering into the air till suddenly rugged Ares snuffed its fury out, dead still. And Idomeneus shouted, vaunting in wild glory, Now, Deiphobus, now shall we call it quits at last? Three men killed for the one you bragged about so much. Come here, you idiot. Stand up to me yourself so you can see what cut of man I am. Look, a son of Zeus come here to face you down. He first bore Minos, watch and ward of Crete. Then Minos bore an illustrious son, Deucalion, yes. And Deucalion fathered me to command a race of men through the length and breadth of Crete, and now our ships have borne me here to your shores to be your curse. A curse to your father, curse to the men of Troy. So he taunted. Deiphobus's mind was torn. Should he pull back and call a friend to his side, some hardy Trojan, or take the Argive on alone? As he thought it out, the first way seemed the best. He went for Aeneas, found him out on the flank and fringe of battle, standing idle, forever angered at Priam, who always scrimped his honors, brave as Aeneas was among the Trojan fighters. Deiphobus reached him soon with winging words, Aeneas, captain, counselor, how we need you now. Shield your sister's husband if grief can touch your heart. Follow me, fight for Alcathous, your brother-in-law who reared you at home when you were just a boy. The famous spearman Idomeneus cut him down. Fighting words that began to stir the rage inside Aeneas's chest, and out for blood he charged Idomeneus now. But nothing could make him panic. No green boy, he stood his ground, like a wild mountain boar, trusting his strength, standing up to a rout of men that scream and swoop against him, often a lonely copse. The ridge of his back bristling, his eyes flashing fire, he grinds his teeth, champing to beat back dogs and men. So Idomeneus, famous spearman, stood his ground. He never gave an inch with Aeneas charging in, quick to the rescue. Idomeneus called his comrades, glancing fast at Ascalaphus, Apharius, Deiparus, Moriones, and Antilochus, both strong with the war cry. He called them closer, his winging orders flying. Over here, my friends. I'm all alone. Defend me. I fear Aeneas, terribly, coming on, top speed, bearing down on me now and filled with power, enormous power to take men down in battle. He's just in the first flush of youth, what's more, the greatest power of all. If we were the same age, I tell you, just as the same theory fills us both, at a single stroke he'd bear off glory now, or I'd bear it off myself. So the Cretan yelled, and all his comrades came in a pack with one will, massing round him, bracing shields to shoulders. But across the lines, Aeneas called his comrades, glancing fast at Deiphobus, Paris, brave Agenor, and all the Trojan captains who backed Aeneas here and fighters followed close behind like flocks that follow the lead ram, leaving the pasture land to drink its springs and the shepherd's heart exults. 
So now the heart of Aeneas leapt inside his chest when he saw the flocks of fighters crowding in his wake. Round Alcathous's corpse, they lunged in hand to hand with their long spears, and the bronze around their chests clashed out, a terrific din as they struck each other fiercely. The lines jamming and two fighters rearing above the rest, Idomeneus and Aeneas, both a match for Ares, charged with their ruthless bronze to hack each other's flesh. Aeneas was first. He aimed and hurled at Idomeneus, but the Cretan saw it coming, dodged the brazen tip, and Aeneas's lance plunged in the earth, quivering, his arm's power poured in a wasted shot. Idomeneus, he hurled and speared Enemaeus through the belly, smashing his corslet just where the plates join, and the bronze spearhead spilled his entrails out, and down the Trojan crashed, grasping, clawing the dust. Idomeneus wrenched his dark shaft from the corpse, but as for the dead man's burnished gear, no use. The chief was helpless to rip it off his shoulders. Enemy weapons jolted him back with so much force his legs buckled, the old driving power lost no dash left to dive for a spear or dodge one. So there he stood, taking it all, beating away the ruthless day of death. No more running now, no quick leaps to sweep him clear of the fighting, just backing, step by step. And Deiphobus, taking aim with his big glinting spear, forever hating the man, and he hurled and missed again. But Deiphobus hit Ascalaphus with that shaft. Ascalaphus. Son of the butcher god of battles, the heavy spear shaft ran him through the shoulder, and down he thundered, scraping, clutching the dust. But the giant bellowing Ares had heard nothing yet of how his son went down in the mounting carnage. On a crest of Olympus under golden clouds he sat, the god of war held fast by the will of Zeus, aloof where the other deathless gods were kept back from battle. Still, round Ascalaphus, fighters kept on lunging in, Deiphobus stripped away the corpse's gleaming helmet, but quick as the god of war, Meriones leapt at him, stabbed his outstretched arm, and the blank-eyed helmet slipped from his grasp, pounding the ground and clanging. Meriones, back on attack, a savage swoop like a vulture, yanked the spear from the Trojan's shoulder joint, and back he drew into crowds of waiting troops. But Polites swept up close to Deiphobus's side, caught his brother around the waist with both arms, and dragged him clear of the heartbreaking skirmish. Far downfield till they reached his team of racers standing behind the rear lines in rush of battle. Their driver and handsome chariot held in tow. Then, back to Troy, they bore Deiphobus, groaning hard in agony, blood from his fresh wound pouring down his arm. And still the rest fought on, relentless war cries rising. Aeneas, charging Apharius, son of Calidor, slid open his throat, just turning toward Aeneas's ripping blade, his head slumped to the side, shield crushing in on him, helmet too, and courage shattering death engulfed his corpse. Next, Antilochus, watching Thoan veer for a quick escape, sprang and stabbed him, slashing away the whole vein that runs the length of the back to reach the neck. He severed it, sheared it clear, and the man went sprawling, back flat in the dust and stretching out both hands to his friends in arms. Antilochus closed to tear the gear from his shoulders, glancing left and right as Trojans massed against him, plunging from every side to batter down his shield, but they could not pierce that broad, glistening hide. No scoring his tender young flesh with ruthless bronze. Not Antilochus, guarded now by the god of earthquakes, shielding, ringing the son of Nestor round, even in this, this storm of spears. 
Antilochus, never clear of enemies, always wheeling, bracing to face them, his own spear never resting, always brandished, quivering, tense, his courage primed to cut men down with a hurl or charge them face to face. His spear aimed in the melee, but Adamus, Aseus' son, missed nothing. He saw it all. Rushed him, rammed Antilochus's buckler dead center with sharp bronze, but the blue-haired god Poseidon crushed the spear, denied him the Argive's life. Half his lance hung there in Antilochus's shield like a charred stake half dropped to the ground. And back he shrank to his cohorts, dodging death, but hounding him as he went, Moriones speared him between the genitals and the navel. Hideous wound, the worse the god of battles deals to wretched men. There the spear struck. Hugging the shaft, he writhed, gasping, shuddering like some wild bull in the hills that herdsmen shackle, trapping the beasts with twisted ropes, and he fights them all the way as the men drag him off. So he gasped with his wound. A little, not for long, till the hero Moriones moved in where he sprawled, wrenched the spear from his corpse, and the dark came shrouding down across his eyes. Helenus charged Eupyrus, cleft the side of his head with a massive Thracian sword, smashed his helmet, and knocked it off. It fell to earth, and an Argive snatched it up as it rolled at soldiers' feet, and the night came blinding down Eupyrus's eyes. And anguish seized Menelaus, lord of the war cry. He went on the run at the fighting prophet Helenus, all menace, madly shaking his wetted javelin, just as Helenus seized his bow by the hand grip. Both let fly at each other, one launching out with a sharp lance, one a shaft from the string, and Helenus's arrow hit Atreides right on the chest, on the breastplate's curve, but the arrow sprang away. High as the black-skinned beans and chickpeas bounce and leap from a big bladed shovel flying across the threshing floor, sped by a whistling wind and a winnower's sweeping stroke, so the arrow flew from fighting Atreides's breastplate, the keen shaft glancing, skittering off downfield. But the lord of the war cry aimed for Helenus's hand, gripping his polished bow, and clean through his fist the bronze spearhead drove and cracked the tensed weapon. Back he fell to his masked companions, dodging death, his hand dangling, dragging the long ashen shaft. And gallant Agenor drew the spear from his hand and bound it up in a band of tightly twisted wool, a sling his aid retained for the good commander. And now Pisander rushed Menelaus, famed in arms, but a grim fate was rushing him to the stroke of death. To be crushed in this hell of war by you, Menelaus. Just as the two men closed, heading into each other, Atreides missed, his spear shaft hooking off to the side. Pisander stabbed his shield, but the bronze could not bore through. The huge hide blocked it, the shaft snapped at the socket. Still, the Trojan exulted, wild with hopes of triumph, as Menelaus, drawing his sword with silver studs, leapt at Pisander, who clutched beneath his shield his good bronze axe with its cleaving blade set on a long, smooth olive haft. A clash! Both fighters at one great stroke chopped at each other. Pisander hacked the horn of the horsehair-crested helmet right at its ridge, lunging as Menelaus hacked Pisander between the eyes, the bridge of the nose, and bone cracked, blood sprayed, and both eyes dropped at his feet to mix in the dust. He curled and crashed. Digging a heel in his chest, Menelaus stripped his gear and vaunted out in glory. So home you'll run from our racing ships, by God, all as corpses. 
See, you death-defying Trojans. Never sated with shattering war cries, are you? Nor do you lack the other brands of outrage, all that shame you heaped on me, you rabid dogs. No fear in your hearts for the quaking rage of Zeus, the thundering god of host and welcome stranger. One day he'll raise your lofty city for you. You Trojans who stole away my wedded wife and hordes of riches too, for no reason, none. My queen of the realm who hosted you with kindness. And now you rampage on among our deep-sea ships, wild to torch our hulls and kill our heroes. Well, you'll be stopped somewhere mad as you are for combat. Zeus, Father Zeus, they say you excel all others, all men and gods in wisdom, clear and calm. But all this brutal carnage comes from you. Look how you favor them, these reckless Trojans, their fury always in uproar. None can ever slake their thirst for blood, for the great leveler, war. One can achieve his fill of all good things, even of sleep, even of making love. Rapturous song and the beat and sway of dancing, a man will yearn for his fill of all these joys before his fill of war. But not these Trojans, no one can glut their lust for battle. So he cried, and staunch Atreides stripped the gear from the corpse, and heaving the bloody bronze to eager comrades, swung to attack again, frontline assault. There, Harpalion charged Menelaus, King Polymenes' son, who'd followed his father into war at Troy, but he never reached his fatherland again. He closed on Atreides, spear stabbing his shield right on the boss, but the bronze could not drive through. So back he drew to his ranks, dodging death, glancing left and right, fearing a lance would graze his flesh. But Meriones caught him in full retreat. He let fly with a bronze-tipped arrow, hitting his right buttock up under the pelvic bone so the lance pierced the bladder. He sank on the spot, hunched in his dear companion's arms, gasping out his life as he writhed along the ground like an earthworm stretched out in death, blood pooling, soaking the earth dark red. Hardy Paphlagonians working over him, hoisting him onto a chariot, bore him back to the sacred walls of Troy deep in grief, while his father, weeping freely, walked beside them now. No blood price came his way, not for his son who breathed his last in battle. But Paris flared in rage at his comrade's death, his friend and guest among all the Paphlagonians. Incensed, he let loose with a bronze-tipped arrow aimed at one Eukinor, son of the prophet Polyitis, a decent, wealthy man who made his home in Corinth. Well, Eukinor knew that boarding the ships for Troy meant certain death. His father told him so. Time and again, the strong old prophet said he'd die in his own halls of a fatal plague or go with the ships and die at Trojan hands. So off Eukinor sailed, both to save his wealth from the heavy fine the Argives made deserters pay, and himself from wasting illness. No slow plague for him. Suddenly, Paris struck him under the jaw and ear and life flew from his limbs, and the hateful darkness had him in its grip. The rest fought on like a mass of whirling fire, but Hector, dear to Zeus, had no idea. Hector heard nothing of how his men, left of the ships, were torn and mauled in the Argives' rough response. The glory might even have gone to them at any moment, so intent was the god who grips and shakes the earth as he surged his Argives on, and the god surged too, adding his own immortal force in their defense. But Hector kept on driving too. 
Just at the point where he first broke through the gates and wall, he charged. He smashed the Achaean lines, dense with armed men. There, where Protesilaus's and giant Ajax's ships lay hauled up in the breaking, churning surf, and the wall to landward dipped low to the ground, the weakest point where the fiercest fighting raged. Waves of Trojans, Trojan horse in assault. Bulked against them, Boeotian troops, Ionian troops with their long war shirts, Locrians, Phthians, and men of Vipia, famed in battle, fought to stop this Hector hurtling at the ships. Nothing they did could thrust him off their lines, Prince Hector roaring on like a torch. Not even the picked Athenians led by Menestheus, Pateos' son, and backing him came Phytus, Stichius, Brave Bias, then the Apian units led by Meges, Phileus' son, Amphion, Dracius, and leading the Phthian ranks came Medin flanking Podarces' toughened skirmish. Medin, the bastard son of royal king Oelius, little Ajax's brother, but Medin lived in Philisi, banished from native land. He'd killed a kinsman dear to Oelius's wife, his stepmother Ariapus, but Iphiclus, son of Philicus, bore Podarces. Brothers in arms, he and Medin led the Phthians out in the forefront of those gallant soldiers fighting beside the oceans now to save the ships. But Oelius's son, the racing Ajax, not for a moment, not at all, would he leave his giant brother, Ajax. Shoulder to shoulder they fought together here, close as a brace of wine-dark oxen matched in power, dragging a bolted plow through packed fallow land, and the sweat rushes up at the roots of both their horns, and only the width of polished yoke keeps both beasts apart, struggling up the furrow to cut the field's last strip. So both men stood their ground, bracing man to man, and a flock of comrades, hardened combat veterans, followed the great Ajax, ready to take his shield whenever sweat and labor sapped his knees. But no Locrians followed the hardy little Ajax. They had no love for stand-and-fight encounters, had no crested bronze helmets to guard their heads, no balanced shields in their grasp, no ashen spears, only their bows and slings of springy, twisted wool. Trusting these, they followed their chief to Troy, shooting with these, salvo on pelting salvo. They tore the Trojan battle lines to pieces. So the men in heavy armor fought at the front. They grappled Trojans, and Hector helmed in bronze, while Locrians slung from the rear, safe, out of range, till the Trojan troops forgot their lust for blood as showering arrows raked their ranks with panic. Deadly going. Then and there, the Trojans might have been rolled back, far away from the ships and tents to wind-torn Troy, if Polydamus had not rushed to headstrong Hector. Impossible man! Won't you listen to reason? Just because some god exalts you in battle, you think you can beat the rest at tactics, too. How can you hope to garner all the gifts at once? One man is a splendid fighter, a god has made him so, one's a dancer, another skilled at lyre and song, and deep in the next man's chest, far-seeing Zeus plants the gift of judgment, good, clear sense, and many reap the benefits of that treasure, troops of men he saves as he himself knows best. So now I will tell you what seems best to me. Look. The battle burns like a swirling crown around your head, but our valiant Trojans, once they scaled the wall, some fall back from the front, idling in armor, others soldier on, squads against mass formations, scattering helter-skelter round the hulls. Draw back now, call the best of our captains here, this safe ground, then we can all fall in and plan our tactics well. 
Whether we fling ourselves against the ships, if Zeus would care to hand us victory now, or beat retreat from the beach and cut our losses, I fear they'll pay us back for yesterday's triumph. He waits by the ships. A man never sated with battle. I doubt he'll keep from the fighting any longer, not with all his war lust. So he urged. His plan won Hector over. Less danger, more success. And down he leapt from his chariot, fully armed, and hit the ground, calling out to Polydemus brisk, winged orders. You stay here. Hold back our captains here. I'm on my way over there to meet this new assault. I'll soon be back once I've given them clear commands. And out, like a flashing snow-capped peak, he moved, shouting, sweeping on through his ranks and Trojan allies. Squads of others swarmed and rallied around Polydemus, Panthous's friendly son. They'd heard Hector's orders. But Hector ranged the front to find his leaders, hunting Deiphobus and the rugged warlord Helenus, Adamus, Aseus's son, and Aseus, son of Herticus. Where could he find them now? Find them he did, no longer free of wounds, unhurt. Not at all. Adamus, Aseus, both sprawled at Achaea's sterns, dead at the Argives' hands. The others at home, behind the walls, were gouged by shaft or sword. But he quickly found one more on the left flank of the heart-wrenching carnage. Royal Paris, Fair Helen's consort, was rousing comrades, driving them back to battle. Once he gained his side, Hector raked his brother with insults, stinging taunts. Paris, appalling Paris, our prince of beauty. Mad for women, you lure them all to ruin. Where's Deiphobus, Helenus, rugged warlord? Adamus, Aseus' son, and Aseus, son of Herticus. Where's Othryoneus, tell me? Now all towering Troy is ruined top to bottom. Now one thing's certain, your own headlong death. And Paris, magnificent as a god, replied, Hector, bent on faulting a man without a fault? At other times I might have shrunk from the fighting, true, but not today. Mother bore me, even me, not to be a coward through and through. Think, since you fired our comrades' fury against the ships, from that hour we've held our ground right here, taking the Argives on, and non-stop, no rest. Our comrades are dead, Hector. Those you inquire about with such concern. Only Deiphobus and the rugged warlord Helenus have made it back alive, wounded with sturdy spears, both in the hand, too. But Zeus beat off their deaths. Now lead the way wherever your fighting spirit bids you. All of us right behind you, hearts intent on battle. Nor do I think you'll find us short on courage, long as our strength will last. Past his strength, no man can go, though he's set on mortal combat. That brought his brother's warrior spirit round. On they went, where the thickest fighting broke, churning round Sobrianes, Dauntless Polydemus, Falces, Orthius, and veteran Polyphides, Palmus, Hippotion's two sons, Ascanius, Maris, fresh reserves just come from Ascanius' fertile soil just last morning, but now great Zeus incited all-out war. Down the Trojans came like a squall of brawling gale winds blasting down with the father's thunder loosed on earth and a superhuman uproar bursts as they pound the heavy seas, the giant breakers seething, battle lines of them roaring, shoulders rearing, exploding foam, waves in the vanguard, waves rolling in from the rear. So on the Trojans came, waves in the vanguard, waves from the rear, closing, bronze men glittering, following captains, closing, and Hector led the way, a match for murderous Ares. 
Priam's son, holding his balanced shield before him, tough with ox hides, studded thick with bronze, and round his temples the flashing helmet shook. He plowed forward, testing enemy lines at all points to see if they'd crack before him, charging under his shield, but he could not overpower the Argives' stiff resolve, and Ajax hulking forward with big strides, the first to challenge Hector. Madman. Here, come closer, trying to frighten Argives. Why waste your breath? No, no, it's not that we lack the skill in battle, it's just the brutal lash of Zeus that beats us down. Your hopes soar, I suppose, to gut and crush our ships? Well, we have strong arms too, arms to defend those ships, and long before that, your city packed with people will fall beneath our hands, plundered to rubble. And you, I say, the day draws near when off you run and pray to Father Zeus and the other deathless gods to make your full-maned horses swifter than hawks, whipping dust from the plain to sweep you back to Troy. Clear on the right, a bird winged past to seal those words, a soaring eagle swooping. Spirits high with the sign, the Argive armies cheered. But bent on glory, Hector answered the giant Ajax, taunt for taunt. Enough of your blustering threats, you clumsy ox. What loose talk, what rant. I wish I were as surely the son of storming Zeus for all my days. And noble Hera gave me birth, and I were prized as they prize Athena and Apollo, as surely as this day will bring your Argive's death down to the last man. And you will die with the rest. If you have the daring to stand against my heavy spear, its point will rip your soft warm skin to shreds. Then, then you'll glut the dogs and birds of Troy with your fat and flesh, cut down by the beaked ships. And loosing a savage yell, Hector led the way and his captains followed close with unearthly cries and Trojan ranks behind them crying shrill. But facing them, the Achaean ranks cried back, not forgetting their courage, braced hard for assault as the Trojans' bravest charged, and roars from both armies struck the high, clear skies, the lightning world of Zeus.